Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. I have been on a little series called Come Up Higher on Wednesday night. I think this is part three. And as I was preparing today, I had this extremely cool journey with God. And I wanted to share with you a little bit about it. I have a little, actually, I have a little PowerPoint that we might get to. But I was reading, I've been reading this book from Lana Vosser from Australia. And it's called, I Hear the Lord Say New Era. And I feel like she tracks with us pretty good. And it's kind of exciting to to know there's all kinds of random stuff going on in the prophetic right now that there's no need for you to avail yourself of the craziness that's out there. There's always crazy. I've been in the prophetic now for 58 years, and it's cray-cray sometimes. And so I wanted to start tonight with just kind of a theological foundation that I personally have. Do you know what that means? A theological foundation? Yeah. It's a theory of beliefs, a, a group of beliefs that you never do shake from. They're the foundation. Do you all have one of those? Yeah. My number one theological foundation is that it's all about His presence. And, you know, interacting with the Holy Spirit in His presence is so vital because every single thing that has to do with you is based on His presence. thought I'd get at least a whoop. but And so God, in His perfect plan... He didn't leave us without the perfect presence of the Holy Spirit. Something that whenever Jesus was talking to the disciples, he said it was better, as you know, I quote this all the time, that he goes away, that he is resurrected and ascended into heaven, left them there without a man because the Holy Spirit was better. Jesus is pretty darn good. You agree? Yes. I mean, if Jesus was went to one life, <laughs> we would be happy. Which you know, I have seen him in here, so it's good. You're good. But he said he left the Holy Spirit, who's better, and so that alone should be an indicator of pursuit for you. And unlike previous to this generation. The Holy Spirit is easy to interact with. I like in the book she quoted this little part from Catherine Kuhlman. And Catherine Kuhlman was someone who died in the 70s. I was fortunate enough to actually see her on TV and um, before she died, because, you know, I was born before she died. I know. I was born in the 60s. <laughs> Just saying. There was other weird stuff going on then, too. 
But she makes this quote in um, she said, Catherine Kuhlman referred to the Holy Spirit as her best friend. And she said, he knows <clears throat> that I will be true to him as long as my heart keeps beating. And I know that I will be true to him. Yeah. We have a pact. All he needs is somebody who will die. And when I died, he came in. I was baptized and I was filled with the Spirit and I spoke in an unknown tongue and he took a hold of every part of me. And in that moment, I surrendered to him all there was of me, everything, everything. Then for the first time, I realized what it meant to have power. I like just these little snippets that she put in there. There's a whole lot she put in there, but I'm going to read some snippets. But she said that, that Catherine Kuhlman said that she had to warn Christians not to try to use the Holy Spirit, but only to let him lead. And when I was reading this today, I was like, I'm going to preach on this tonight. I mean, this is really good. You know, clearly... I've had an experience with the Holy Spirit, and I never want um, I, would, I never want to to act like that anything is of me, but everything is of him. But he doesn't just select a bunch of pretty people. Right. <laughs> he He actually is waiting for us to select him. And and part of part of why that I feel like I just am the way I am is because of how often I say yes. Yeah. You know, I I know of kind of two cool God demos recently. One of them was the other day when Shudi and I were driving up here to work on this transformation, and it's still a little bit of a work in progress, but it's kind of nice. Yeah. And, you know, two things happened that day. One I can tell and one I can't. But we were, I was actually on the phone. We were driving. We had stopped by the first Home Depot and uh, by our house. And we were going to get a new Brad Neller because we needed one up here. But, you know, I always have an excuse for Desrim to get a new tool anyway. So, and so Pam had checked around, and she said that, you know, we probably were going to have to go to Lowe's. And I was like, okay, well, we're going to just stop by Home Depot here on Penn, right by our house, because I need to get something else anyway. And so when we went in there, they didn't have the nail gun, which we didn't think they had, but, you know, we just looked anyway, because they have no idea what they have. And so they didn't have it, and so she went up to the front, and I said, well, find out if any other Home Depot has it, because... Lowe's didn't have this exact one I thought we wanted anyway. And so she said, nope, nobody has it. And so we were driving to the upper, and we were on our way to Lowe's on 39th and May, but I, for some reason, I don't know why, but I drove to Home Depot instead. So she was laughing at me because when we were in the parking lot, I'm like, I don't even know why I'm here. And I said to her, but let's go in anyway. 
And see, you know, I think it's just that kind of thing. You know, um, Pam was telling me about Jacqueline had a God demo the other day. She had changed her a little bit of the Holy Spirit had told her to change her routine slightly in the morning. And, and he had told her to go to work and she basically didn't have her keys. Long story short, she had thrown her jeans in the dryer and, and, uh, she got her clothes on, didn't do all of her normal morning stuff. And she had to go to her office, didn't have her keys, had to let the security person let her into the door. But she said, while she was walking to her office, she felt in her back pocket, the jeans that were in the dryer, the pants that were in the dryer and the keys were in there. And she said that, but the most interesting part was that her, her key ring was janky. And she had been meaning to tell the building manager, her boss, to get a new one, but she hadn't had a chance and it had a new one on there. And so, you know, God is, is wanting to, um, see who values what level of value that you carry for the supernatural. And, you know, I love one of the things that, that, they, that she said in the book is that Catherine Kuhlman said that by simply honoring the Holy Spirit and by allowing and, and desiring God's presence, that it created an atmosphere for miracles to increase, to be released. See, that the thing you have to understand is that God's looking for an atmosphere of release. He's not withholding anything. God is, God is more hungry than you to release his power through you to the world. Do you understand that he is more? But see, the thing we have to realize, I wrote this little thing today and I, I said, we have to stay focused on this, that as I yield, as I change all my definitions that are not God. And see, I get to trust that the Holy Spirit's going to show me these. And my experiences will show me these as well. So if I change all my definitions that are not God, as I die to my own ways, my own expectations, and I become intimate with His presence, then anything can happen through me. But it's not about us finding something to do for God and then calling my doing my purpose. My purpose is to know him intimately. All else is a byproduct of how much he can trust me, how much I'm yielded, and how much I'm surrendered. I feel an urgency that we can't just cry out to God to change us to give us something we expected or wanted. We are crying out for his will to be done on the earth. We are on the earth, so that includes me. I just read that in Psalm 115. The earth has been given to you. You know, we really have to switch this mentality of I just got to get out of here or God's just got to make me real comfortable. It's not for us to establish something to feel good about ourselves. It's to make him known. We will feel amazing doing his will. But there's always an order. Christy said it really well on Sunday. 
that word, you should go back and listen to it because God has an order to things. And can I propose to you that do you sense in yourself the things that are out of order or not? See, when we don't even know that things are out of order, then we it's like we keep beating a dead horse. We keep we keep pounding on a wall, praying a prayer, and it's actually out of order. I mean, out of alignment. That's why we're doing this alignment book for sure. So I said, first, you have to have this heart change. You have to become a laid-down lover of Him. His ways is the first thing of everything. Nothing can take the place of this first step. It includes words like, I want your will, God, not mine. Remake all my definitions of you in this life that I'm living. Let my desires be your desires. It's repent, repent, repent. It's not being ashamed that you don't know. It's not caring how you did yesterday. But it's just continual yeses over and over to the king. This is the first most important step that must be repeated every second, every minute, every hour, every day, every week, every month, every year of your life. It's never going to end. You dying to your way is never going to end. Secondly, it's pursuing truth against all other voices, all other statements, all other ways of others. Good ways, but not God ways for you. It's an on-your-face encounter with the king over and over, not just a one-time thing. It's called abiding. It's probably and maybe not physical, although it could be. But it's internal. Yeah. It's having an abiding sense of Him as you do your day. And thirdly, it's being astounded and grateful over and over and over. Yeah. An expectancy of more. And a continue to be astounded. And a continue with more gratefulness. Yeah. You know, those are three really simple things that I live theologically, if you will, in my life. I don't ever, I love how I got this thing from Danny, this email, and he made this statement that really, I actually was getting my hair done yesterday, and I actually told the girl who does my hair this statement in a, in a non-religious way, but he said that one of the most demonic strategies going on in our culture right now is the ideological push to get people to identify as victims. He says we're literally training people to be powerless and to act the only way and, and to act like the only way to be powerful is either through anarchy or totalitarianism. You have to look that word up, won't you? See, whenever, that's really what's going on in culture. Yeah. Don't call it something else. Yes. It's the enemy's attack yeah. 
to make I I laugh and and talk about that movie. I think it's Notting Hill or something where they're trying to get the brownie because the girl in the wheelchair gets the brownie. I think that's that movie. I don't recommend it. I don't know anything about it. So, <laughs> but what does victimization do? Remember how Danny taught there in in society. There's the victim, the bad guy, and the and see what you have to wherever there's a victim. There's those other two parties at play. That's so true. Yeah. And you know, it's not enough to say don't be one of those three parts. <laughs> and so as I was reading this, he, he, st- he talked about, he said, being powerful is just a mindset. And so when I was reading that, this thought the Holy Spirit gave to me was, you can't come up higher when you don't trust me. Because you're coming up higher to an entity you don't trust. And so I thought, okay, we should talk about that. And so I thought, you know, I just, I, I know a lot about trust. I, um, you know, there's always two camps. There's the people who trust everybody. And they trust all the wrong people. <laughs> they call it trust. But it's really, it's really manipulation. It's really a hidden agenda that I'm going to get something from you by acting like I trust you. But it's not, that's not trust. That's not true trust. You know, I think I, I read this really cool article today, and I, let me look at my little PowerPoint. It, I have these 10 or so, maybe it's more, ways to rebuild trust. And what's, you know, what's really interesting about these, I don't, it's probably more than 10, it's probably 20. But let me read you a couple things. It talks about the development of trust. And so that that tells us something, right? How many would say that you need some work in the area of trust? How many feel like they trust pretty good? How many feel like it's broken? Yours is broken? What breaks it? What breaks trust? Think about it in your own life, where you are. On Everybody in this room is at a different place. Everybody has a different definition of what trust is. Everybody has an idea of what will fix it or, doesn't, or have no idea how to fix it. How many would be open to say, that I would like to know some things of how to fix trust. And wait, before you raise your hand. (laughs) And I'm willing to do anything to trust more. See, that's really the question because the weird thing about trust being broken is we, it normally means that somebody did something or we think God should have done something. 
Have you ever been mad at God? See, I can, can I just tell you, I'm not just trying to, but I have never been mad at God. I have never had to pray the prayer, I forgive you, God. But you may have to. I led Lynn in that prayer a long time ago. She was really mad at God. Really mad at God. And I don't, I don't even know if I had met anybody as mad at God as Lynn was. Our trust is developed early on. And I, I interestingly found this study from the 50s from a little dude. And his name was Eric Erickson. Who would name their kid that? <laughs> Eric Erickson. In 1956, he developed this eight stages of development. And I thought, this is so interesting. So I, I made you a little slide. And the first slide is called Eric Erickson's Stages of Psychosocial Development. So this is really big words, I know. But let's just go down and look at Can you read it? It's kind of tiny for you people over there. I'll read it to you, okay? But what what's interesting, don't read all that yet, because you know you can't hear me and read at the same time. But what's interesting is that the when this was known in the 50s, this was just something he he began to research and understand. He was talking about these different stages of life that we learn different things. So he was saying infant to 18 months. That's the place where we learn to trust or mistrust. Look how early mistrust trying to get in there. Now he did. Now I listened to some people, current people, talking about this, and they were saying that since our environment at home is so poor from what it used to be in the fifties, that our developmental process is so much slower now. And so since our environment at home is not a nurturing environment, and, you know, it's basically when moms went back to work and, you know, our roles changed, and so the kids begin to raise themselves. How many were kids that raised themselves? Okay. So you can see that that was an environment conducive to this timeline is my point. So then that means you're probably stuck somewhere, you 30-year-olds, you are probably stuck back there in the 5 to 13-year-old category. Unless you've had a lot of inner healing, you're just stuck back where you should have developed. Why? Because our environment isn't conducive to learning. And I love, this is one of the things that, that he said. <clears throat> he said that this, this little page here, this graph, it pre it presents an overview of the developmental task involved in social and emotional development of children and teenagers and adults. He said that the socialization process consists of eight phases, the eight phases of man. Eight, the eight stages of man were formulated through, not through experimental work, but through a wide-ranging experience with psychotherapy, including extensive experience with children and adults from low to upper middle class social cl classes. Now, I'm pretty sure 
that he was developing this for some sort of, sort of like a socialism viewpoint. Like this was all going to be about how we interact socially. And, you know, a lot of people have taken this and developed some socialism things from it. Now, I feel like socialism is the counterfeit to Acts 4. But, you know, we're not going to talk about that tonight. And that y'all may not even understand that. But that's kind of what I feel like. It's just, it's, it's, well, let's don't throw out the whole baby with the bathwater, okay? Let's just learn a little something tonight. So interesting enough that whenever this early stage of trust is being developed, then it has, I love that, it has a virtue. That's what he called it, a virtue that's trying to be developed in you. Isn't it interesting that the virtue's hope? And look how young. So let's just say that's the foundation. Hope, that sounds biblical. Hope is the foundation of what? Of, of my life, that I have this thing I'm going to hope for. That's why when people think God's the underdog, this did not get developed in them early on. I love he said this, the stages, how did he say it? I'm trying to edit he said, each stage needs a resolution to a crisis in it. Wow. So that, and that means that once you have a resolution within that stage, you bump up to the next stage. So in other words, if you found trust in that first stage, then you grew up as a young child knowing you're going to get fed. How many have any memory, memories before 18 months old? It's really, really rare. But how many think they were fed as a baby? How do we know? We did not die. Come on. Right? So we probably, this is, see, these are all the stages we need sozos right here. They're just right here on the page for you. So we don't do many sozos, right, before 18 months old. Right? Because we're good. So that means there was some level of trust. Now, see, I've done a lot of studies about orphans, especially in other countries. One of the things that's broken in them, it's really hard to repair, is that they didn't know at before 18 months old if they were going to eat. And so they developed mistrust so early on, so their entire foundation was pretty shoddy, right? Would we agree? So I love this. He said, this is the period of infancy through whatever, maybe up to two years old, where if we were handled well, or, or if it was well with us, right, then we were nurtured to love, and it developed trust. And what's the second thing you think it developed? It's an S word. Security. It develops in, in a basic optimism. So clearly... This negativity is not personality related. Right? right? Yes. How many know somebody who was raised in an abusive environment before two years old? Does anybody know anybody? Do you think they have a little trouble with trust? Yes. Have you, do you notice? Well, this is why. So see, the truth of it is, is that has to be rectified. Yeah. Yes. That's what he's saying. That has to be resolved. Yes. Now, sozos are great for resolution. It kind of paints a different picture for you, right? But see, if you, if you still believe the mistrust more than the sozo, you still haven't resolved that level. 
Are you following me? This is, works for all the levels. I'm just trying to say the foundational truth. If it was, ha- if your parenting was handled badly, then they become insecure and mistrustful. That's what's happening. Listen, even if this isn't happening for you, people that are going to come in at the harvest, they're going to need this. That's why they're all out there wandering around because that nothing was actually handled well in their development. What's development even mean? It means I developed into something. So I developed into somebody. Look at all the stuff on the right-hand side. Mistrust, shame, doubt, guilt, inferiority, confusion, isolation, stagnation, despair. How many people do you know that live on the right side? None of this has gotten developed. So see, there's a positive, actually helpful development and there's a negative, there's a, there's a development of something going on at every stage. This is really good breakdown, I'm just telling you. Second stage, 18 to three months, three years, I mean, sorry. Now remember, these are delayed. So our generation is more like probably five or six years. If you, don't, if you didn't have a healthy environment, this is probably going on. So this has to do with your will. Let's read what he says about this. He says, this occurs obviously during this time frame. He says, the well-parented child emerges from this stage, sure of himself, elated with his newfound control and proud rather than ashamed. Autonomy is not, however, entirely synonymous with assured self-possession, initiative, or independence. But at least for children in the early part of this phase includes the stormy self, the tantrums, the stubbornness, and negativity. This, that's not bad. They're trying to find their will. That's why as a parent, you're like, hey, no, hey, yes, this is the time. Why? They're just discovering, wow, I'm my own person. And me feel like at that stage, your parents were like, stop it, you're an idiot. Yeah, I know Pam had that. Stop it, you're an idiot. So you're like trying to actually exert or express a muscle within your developmental stage that just needed to be shaped now see here's the thing if i mean like i'll just use lynn lynn was a very strong-willed child and she had a very passive mom she already told her story a million times right so see can you see how this phase worked right can you see it so that passivity in her mom didn't shape it it just allowed it, yeah. and it just got it just got bigger after that. <laughs> the only thing that could stop the bigness of Lynn is jail time. And so, see, hopefully, it doesn't happen to you. But that's that's the nature of underdeveloped childhood. Is Lynn um, just subject to this underdevelopment? No, she had a good choleric that came around and just chopped off all that excess. <laughs> flubber and fat and said get off that you don't need that as a prophet of God that was an attempt of the enemy to destroy your life with excess weight can you see that it's just so clear to me you sure it says that two year olds resolutely fold their arms preventing their mothers from holding their hands as they cross the street also the sound of no that rings through the house in the grocery store Right? I remember my mom pulled my hair in church when I was about that age, and the whole church heard me say, Stop pulling my hair! (laughs) 
I was exercising my autonomy. Are you with me? See, we don't have to be all upset. This is just so this has to be resolved. So if you were put down like Pam, then guess what? She ended up with some shame and doubt that stage. Can you see the balance at all in this? This is something being developed. And so we have to shape, as parents, as spiritual parents, we have to shape this. We have four little candidates right now we can shape. Y'all are all a candidate for me to shape, even Gwen. I'm, Gwen's older than me, but I can shape Gwen. So see, you can tell by the way we conduct ourselves in lives what stage we did not have good parenting in. That's why parents play such a vital role. That's why you parents who did do this well, you can trust. If your children are out running with scissors, they're going to poke themselves. And they will eventually, what? See the father running to meet them. It's just the reality of it. They're, that's why if everybody in this generation is a victim, they're going to go out there and exercise some autonomy with their victimhood. And they're going to find out that ain't welcome out here. Right? Has anybody done that? Lynn did that. Number three, I love this one. It's initiative versus guilt. He says this occurs during the play age, usually preschool, start going to school. It says healthy developing child learns, number one, to imagine, to broaden his skills through active play of all sorts, including fantasy play. See, some of you adults are stuck there in fantasy play. That was, no, that's supposed to be at three years old. Right? Number two, to cooperate with others. That's why if you have an only child, get them somewhere where there's other children to, to cooperate with, Right? How many were an only child? Anybody? Sort of? Pardon? <laughs> Number three, to lead as well as follow. See how both has to go on all time. How many feel like they did good at this stage in their childhood? Right here, you led and you followed, you did good, you cooperated with others, you learned all kinds of How many feel good about where they were? How many know? No. All right. So see, if you haven't resolved this, can you see right there? What's the, what's the virtue? That's why you have such a hard time finding your purpose. Because you're living under the guilt. Not the initiative. He said, if it was bad parenting, they're immobilized by guilt. They're fearful. They hang on the fringes of groups. They continue later to develop, un, uh, develop, depend on adults wrongly. And they're restricted both in the development of play and skills and imagination. There's where your imagination got stolen right there. Good? Yes. Are you with me? Yes. Number four is industry versus inferiority. And look at the virtue. That'll solve that problem of doing everything wrong right there. He said this was developed in the school age. 
presumably and possibly including some of junior high ages. Here a child learns to master the more formal skills of life in junior high. Relating with peers according to rules. How many missed this stage? <laughs> Come on. I know Pammy did. How many missed this stage? See, the rules don't apply to you. Lynn missed this stage entirely. Ain't no rules. Progressing from free play to play that may be elaborated, structured by rules, and may demand formal teamwork, such as a, you know, a team. So my teams are so good, yes. right? Yes. Mastering social studies, reading, arithmetic, homework, all that is a necessity. And the need for self-discipline increases each year. There's where we dropped off right there, right? Ain't no self-discipline. We're relying on adults to clean up our messes. How many had parents that helped you with that? Yeah, there you go. There's your problem right there. This is a child because of his successive and successful resolutions of earlier stages is trusting, autonomous, full of initiative, will learn easily and will become industrious. Heaven's industrious. However, on that other column, the mistrusting child will doubt the future. The shame and guilt-filled child will experience defeat and inferiority. It's just development, y'all. We can go back and get these. Number five, 13 to 21. This is where some of y'all are. If y'all are 25 and under, this is probably where you're at right here. says, now they learn how to answer satisfactorily and happily the question, who am I? They already know that. 13 to 21. Jesus was 12, 13 when he learned who he was. That's what was supposed to happen. Won't you ask the Holy Spirit, go back there and see, see who you really thought you were back then. If you didn't, if you didn't have any resolution on any of these levels, you're going to have no idea. Right. You might be 40 when you figure that out. It says, but even the best adjusted of adolescents sometimes experiences role identity confusion. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Most boys and probably most girls experience with minor delinquency. Sometimes rebellion flourishes. Self-doubt, flood the youngster, and so on. Isn't that weird? I know, I like this terminology. It says that this guy believes that during successful early adolescence, mature time perspective is developed. The young person acquires self-certainty as opposed to self-consciousness and self-doubt. A whole generation that is under... Self-consciousness and self-doubt yeah. because they didn't do this stage. Yeah. It says they experiment with different, usually constructive roles rather than adopting a negative identity such as delinquency. 
They actually anticipate achievement and achieve rather than being paralyzed by feelings of inferiority or by an inadequate perspective. The, in later adolescence, clear sexual identity, manhood or womanhood, is established. The adolescent seeks leadership, seeks leadership this age, someone to inspire them, and gradually develops a set of ideals. Number six is into is it yeah. intimacy versus isolation, right? Yeah. Well, the one thing I was going to say about the virtue developed. He said fidelity. It's not a word we use now, but it's actually the ability to be true to oneself, to know who you are, and be true to that. Yeah. That's really what's going on right now. Like we've already talk, already talked about with gender confusion, right? Yeah. They didn't do this stage well. Okay, number six, um, intimacy versus isolation. This is really good because this is when our love is developed. It says that a successful young adult for the first time can experience true intimacy. And I love this guy's definition of intimacy was the ability to relate one's deepest hopes and fears to another person and to accept another's need for intimacy in return. He said it doesn't have anything to do with sex. See, when we have such limited <laughs> definitions, right? Yeah. So how many, I mean, like, guys in our generation, this generation, that's what intimacy was. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's all they, <laughs> right? In my generation, that's the way it was, right? It's just all about something it's not about. Yeah. And so then we get all afraid of intimacy because we made it about sex. We didn't make it about this, which is the ability to relate And so then, mostly women were looking for someone to relate. Yes. 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 Men were looking for someone to have sex with. They're not the same thing. He said, when you actually are intimate, he said it, it can be in friendship or obviously in marriage, but it leads to solidarity, which is unity and agreement with, between two people. Yeah. That sounds biblical to me. Yeah. He says, but if you are actually in relationship with someone that's toxic or hurtful and they're not ready to give up their control or being the boss, we will create distance because we're threatened by their behavior. Wow. You might be in the same house, in the same bed, but that's happening because guess what? When someone doesn't feel safe with you, they're giving you instruction on how to reach them. They're really not even saying anything about you. See, here's what happens. When we try to tell somebody something about ourselves, the other person gets focused on trying to present to us how they're not doing that. I do this sometimes. Instead of the other person saying, I just gave you a snapshot into why I don't feel safe. A snapshot why I don't want to be intimate with you snapshot we're like spend all our time explaining ourselves stop doing that especially if you're married if you're married and someone does that just go home tonight and say stop doing that i'm trying to tell you how i feel if you have children and they say hey you're making me feel this way never do say to them no i'm not i mean that is the most ridiculous thing if someone has the courage to say you're making me feel this way never say no i'm not Everybody in this room's done that. Yeah. 
Because we want to defend what we did. They're not saying that. They're saying, I'm telling you that's hurtful. I'm just telling you that makes me scared. Because it leads to isolation if we don't do that. So we have to resolve that intimacy issue because otherwise we won't develop the virtue of love. And who doesn't want that? Everybody's looking for love, but we're not good at it. Right? So I love, what's that word? The gen generativity. I started out today by finding this word, but I haven't been able to practice. Even I practice all day long. But anyway, this is, well, Mendel had to say it for me. It says this stage of life requires this. And it's basically the sense of working productively and creatively. Wow. I really want to develop this in young people. This is really the kingdom model, is that we're just not so self-focused. Unfortunately, this guy pretty much thought you couldn't even do this till 40. He was like, yeah, you're not even capable. You're just barely capable to be competent. He really did believe that this was the age that you couldn't, you couldn't do it sooner. I just don't believe that. I believe all this is is a snapshot of what the world, this is, this is the best the world can hope for. But we know the Holy Spirit. And so that's why he wants to point out these different things. So that leads to being able to care for others, right? Last one is the integrity versus despair. So this integrity thing develops wisdom in us. And so that, that's a really good thing to have, right? So he, there's a whole bunch of, of stuff on this. And like I said, I do think that he, his desire was to socialize and get us to care for people, you know, like to give to people. But I, but I really think the motivation of, of the father's heart is that the father wants to instruct us because he wants us, he wants to lead us. So we have to understand where our pitfalls are to his leading. That makes sense. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so the last thing I want to talk about tonight is how to rebuild trust. And the reason why I really want to talk about this is because I think it's just another one of those things we have messed up definitions about. Yeah. And so I think that it's really, really important to realize that trust got broken in everybody's life because everybody thought we should be able to trust people. Right? And see, the truth of it is, God wants us to be able to trust each other. But the truth is this. You can't develop trust unless you are trustworthy. Yes. And so that's why I asked you at the beginning, were you willing to do anything, including realize you're the one that needs to develop trust? And so here's... Here's my little PowerPoint on that. I didn't show my little graph there. That was cool. Show them that picture. It's really cool. There's a, I didn't draw this. That's the stages. I'll put it on, on Evernote. So to rebuild trust, here's the number one thing. Are you ready? Here it comes. So my little list down there, V. Keep going. Keep going. There. Ways to rebuild trust. Ready? you got to be 100% honest. Yeah. 
Why is that hard? How many think that they don't even know how to be honest? Okay, so everybody in the room said they didn't raise their hand. You didn't raise your hand. So see, you've got to solve. I'll put this on Evernote, but you've got to solve why you aren't being honest. This is the foundation. This is the rebuild trust. Is you have to start by being honest. I know you want everybody. I wish I could get everybody gathered up and they could all prove to you, but it's you. Listen, everybody's had broken trust. You either forgave and moved on, or you held on to it and you became less trustworthy. I love, go back now, Vita. It says, remember not to be hard on yourself. There's a reason you may be having or experiencing trust issues. It may, it may seem hard for you to have healthy relationship with others, but keep in mind that it may also be hard for others to have relationships with you. Can I tell you, it's the first stage of developing trust is realizing how hard it is to be in relationship with someone who has no trust. It's so miserable and hard because you have to, you can't do anything right. They got you under a microscope. That's the log and the speck parable right there. Are you, you said you're willing, right? Next little slide. It says, if you're looking to rebuild trust from an existing toxic relationship or to build trust for the first time, you must first create a new foundation. One that is based on honesty, loyalty, and commitment. Now, see, if you're in a relationship with someone that doesn't want to do that, you can't do this. Relationships are more than one person. So you have to just realize that, that some of y'all want to be in relationship with people that aren't even wanting to be in relationship with you. They just want to control you. Number three, remember words, promises, and gifts do not restore trust in a relationship. No matter how many gifts you receive or promises they make, it is the trustworthy behaviors and actions that show and prove trust to others. How many have ever had someone that you know they don't mean it and they just want to get you some flowers or a card or something? You know they're not meaning it. They're not changing their actions. Okay, keep going. Number, the one that says active. active. This is more ways to rebuild trust. Active listening. Validate what the person is saying. And our favorite word, patience, patience, patience. Distrust wasn't built overnight. Remember, this is what you're going to do to build trust. You said you were willing, right? Be on time. You know, even Dr. Phil says people that are late are prideful. Now, you're never going to, Tracy and Phil, they're never going to be late. They're always early. Tracy's hours early. I like, I like remember the Titans 10 minutes late. I mean, 10 minutes early is late. Why? Because it builds trust that someone knows they can count on you. Because what happens? See, I've run a construction company all my life, right? Seems like what happens? What happens? Last minute stuff happens, right? Come prepared. So I tell the worship team, don't come up here and get your worship. If you worship ain't on, don't come up here. You've got to have some established principles. You're building trust again. 
I don't know if you understand this, but if you don't trust, you aren't trustworthy. Because you, you, you actually give after its kind, right? Commitment. Make sure you do what you say you will do. Don't say it if you're not going to do it. Agreed? This is trustworthy things. This is stuff to rebuild trust. I know you thought I was just going to say it was going to be somebody else, but it's you. Always be fair in arguments and disagreements. How many know that they haven't been fair when they argue? You're an ugly arguer. Yeah, that, that is that whole defending thing. Yeah. See, that's the thing. is If you're going to be in a relationship, you have to be able to hear what the other person is saying. And you have to be able to know if you're being manipulative or if you're being manipulated. Yeah. The greatest gift you can tell your kids is, hey, I don't want to manipulate you. If, if I'm manipulating you, tell me. That's the greatest gift you can give to your kids. Always be fair in arguments and disagreements. Be sensitive to the other person's feelings. Never discount how they feel. It's good, right? Next. Be considerate. If you're going to be late, call and let somebody know. We have this rule at my house. If you're going somewhere, you're not going somewhere, tell somebody. Why? Why? Why is that a trustworthy thing? Because you want the other person to know where you are. Because you want to be in relationship with them. Never overreact. I love that one. How many have been guilty of that? That's so ugly, isn't it? Overreaction. Freaking out. Kay learned that with driving. It says emotions can get the best of some people. How many feel like that they got their emotions under control? They never overreact. Here's the answer to that overreaction. Think before you speak. Words hurt. Once you say something, you can't undo what has been said or the effects it may have on the other person. Man, if we only live by that. We're we're so counting on in church. I can just rip my britches and poop on you and I'll just come say sorry. I'll just be sorry. Professional apologizers. Not character changers, just apologizers. Get them out there. No, they've got them all tucked in, bro. they got them all tucked back. Next. Never bring up the past. The past is the past. Leave it there. How many have been arguing and someone tries to tell you something and you go, you do it. How many, how many do that? Come on. See, that is so wrong. Stop doing that. That is, that is a complete conversation stopper. It is a killer. It is like that person is like, no. I like discuss your lives, talk about the events that happen at work, talk about your secrets. The more you learn about another person, the stronger the relationship becomes. So listen, that is about trust. If I had broken trust, which I do not, then I would read those and I would do those. I would put them on a note card. I would tattoo them on my eyelids. I would do something. And I would say to the people I'm in a relationship with, this is what I'm working on right now. I'm working on this because I'm so tired of not trusting anybody. I'm so tired of not trusting God. And I realized it was me. That's it, Mom. 
Listen, every single person on the planet has had broken trust. It ain't a thing. You don't get the championship bull, bull riding ticket. It's not a thing. It's what you do after that. Are you still stuck where someone done you wrong song? I mean, they just I'm just telling you, it just ought not to be. In this house of a bunch of prophetic people and people who are saying their heart is after God, you should not walk in unforgiveness and you should not walk in distrust. And so it proved to me on Sunday when all of y'all came down that you need to work on this. And so that's why I'm talking about it tonight. This is just a free gift. I totally changed what I was going to talk about just so I could say this is what you could do to fix it. So you have no excuse. Right? Are you coming, Mendel? Come on. Awesome stuff. Awesome, awesome stuff. You know what it means that she talked about this tonight. We all have an opportunity for an upgrade. And all of our upgrades may look different because we're all in different places, right? But the emphasis is that we have an opportunity for an upgrade. So um, I... I was looking back through some older words and I came across one that I felt like was fitting for tonight that Papa said um, over us in the past. And I feel like just the timing of this, like I said, is really, it helps me know that Papa's wanting to bring each of us into an upgrade in some area. So I thought I would read this over us. Papa said, daughter or son, I want to show you all that comes when you take my hand in trust. I'm asking you to take the hand you've never held before. So what this means, again, just this may be in a new light that reading this word after this message, but I'm asking you to take the hand you've never held before. That means that each one of us has an area that we've never stepped up in, in at the, in the level that he's welcoming us or inviting us into right now. So it's not something, if you're sitting there thinking this doesn't apply to me and I'm good, then you're missing it. We all have an area. <laughs> Me included, Tisa included, all of us, everybody. Everybody has an area. I'm asking you to take the hand you've never held before. So it's a new, a new thing. Yes, that's right. There are levels of trust you have yet to experience. My hand of trust is extended to you right now. I've extended my hand many times to invite you in to bring you into new levels of experience with me. Sometimes my hand was extended to show you fatherly love. Sometimes hope was what was in the hand I extended to you, offering you a gift to fill you when you needed it most. Sometimes it was my strength that you needed to hold on to. Sometimes it was a soothing touch. My hand is always extended to you with just what you need but you don't always see clearly what it holds. I'm extending my hand of trust to you now. You're ready for this. As your father, I always know what you're ready for. You are ready to take my hand in this way. So hear that over each of yourselves, okay? You are ready to take my hand in this way. You are ready to take my hand in this way. A transaction is about to take place. When you take my hand, you will receive from me. 
I've heard your cries, your heart's deepest wish. I've brought you just what you need. I've brought you the desire of your heart. I'm extending a hand you've never held before. When you take the hand I'm extending to you today, you'll connect to power and love in a brand new way. So I just want to stress the importance of this. This is an, an, a Kairos moment, an opportunity for us now. I don't care if you agreed or disagreed with, with everything that Tisa said, if you got offended, if you felt, you know, um, I don't know, invalidated, any of those types of things. The God of the universe is saying, I have heard your individual heart cry. The thing that's been on your mind, the thing that you've been crying out for at night, he heard it. And he's saying, I have an answer for you that's available right now. A personalized answer. That thing you've been saying, whether it resonated with, with what she talked about tonight or not, what she talked about tonight means that each one of us went through a developmental process and we've all incurred injuries at different times and there were flaws in our development process. No human being in a fallen world has escaped that. And so we all have something we need of him. And the God of the universe is saying, I have something for you right now. So if you will, just, 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 Posture yourself in this way and say, Papa, I just surrender and I lay down any, um, any offense, any way that I am holding on to the edges, any of way, any feeling of condemnation, any feeling of invalidation. I just lay down everything that I know is in the way of me receiving what you are, have in your hand for me right now. Just say I'm willing. Just say I'm willing and I surrender it. I'm, I'm going to lay it down right now. I'm just going to lay it down on the floor and hold my hands out to you. You don't, don't even have to promise that you won't pick that thing back up afterwards. I'm just saying, will you do it for a moment? Just lay it down on the floor and extend your hands to say, say to him, I want to receive what you have in your hand for me tonight. I don't want to miss what you have for me tonight. I believe you when you say you've heard my cries. I believe you when you say you've seen me and you've watched over me my whole life and you know exactly what you've brought to my, that I need in this moment and that it's personal between me and you. I believe you when you say that. And so I extend my hand to receive from you tonight. And I ask that you plant that seed and that, that whatever's meeting that need deep in my heart and that you would water it over the coming days. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would water this in each person's heart in the coming days, that you would water the thing that you're planting in them, that it won't be, that it won't be rejected by the things of the past, but that you would send angels and, and to protect what you're doing in the room tonight, what you're doing in each person's heart tonight. We just say we trust you, Papa. You are a good, good father, and you know us better than we know ourselves and better than any other human being could ever know us. And so we trust that you know what we need tonight, and you know what we're ready to receive tonight. So we say thank you. Thank you. We'll be like little children in this moment and just simply receive from you. Whether we understand it or not, we will receive from you. So we thank you. We thank you, Papa. 
We thank you, Papa God. You're a good, good father. You're a good, good father. And we love you, and we love you, and we thank you for the way you care for us and that you raise us up. We thank you that nothing is out of your reach. Nothing is too late. You are supernaturally able to go back to any of these developmental stages and provide what was missing and tweak and correct and bring healing to that place so that we can operate in wholeness. So we thank you for your redeeming power, your over, your ability to reach us at any stage and at any depth of our hearts. So we just thank you. Holy Spirit, we thank you. Thank you for the way you work. Thank you for the way you come and reinforce what the Father's doing and what the Father's pouring out in this moment that you, you provide um, reminders and give us little personal signs, whether it's the shape of the cloud in the sky on the way to work or something that we see on a billboard or something that pops up on the TV channel that just says, oh, remember that thing. Remember that thing you said he was doing. We thank you for the way you work. And Papa, we will celebrate what you're doing. We'll celebrate what you're doing before we even understand it, before we see it take place. Just because the one thing we know is that you're a good, good father. And so we love you. We love you. And we say we love you tonight. Thank you, Jesus. We love you so much. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com. Okay